Acts chapter 3 tonight. We'll pick up where we left off last time in our series through this book while we consider what it means to be a church in action. Chapter 3, we have the account of the miraculous healing of the crippled beggar at the hands of Peter and John through the power of God while at the beautiful gate. We finally sang about that tonight. We are now past that point in our study. (laughs) Then we have Peter's response to the crowd, which we are currently studying. People began to gather at Solomon's porch to see what had taken place, and Peter begins to speak to the people. I'd like to read that to you again, beginning in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Amen. In this section of verses, we have already seen how Peter first directed all the attention off of him and John and had the crowd's attention directed to God, who is the one who had the power to perform this. And they said, don't look at us like it was our holiness, but God is at work. And then he began to preach Christ as the Son of God. He preaches Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. And last week in verse 16... Actually, it's been like two weeks. In verse 16, we saw how this miracle was all about faith in Christ. Faith in His power and His authority. Then we closed with the blessed thought that when our Lord heals, He heals completely, perfectly, soundly. Christ is perfect. Christ is our salvation. Therefore, our salvation in Christ is 
perfect, and complete. We are wholly saved at the moment of salvation. God never partially saves anybody. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are made new creatures in Christ. We have been justified just as if we'd never sinned. And finally, we saw from verse 16 how this miracle was performed in the presence of them all. The miracle of our salvation is to be manifested to all around us. We're not to be in hiding. We, I'm okay if people want to judge and examine our salvation. I hope you're okay with that. I hope you're living in a way that you're okay with that. It's notable that a miracle has taken place when somebody who has been born again is living that out, and people can see that and they can say, something is different. Even as we make mention, as we heard Saturday morning at men's prayer, as we make mention of the Lord and as we tell people about Christ, people begin to put it together. Something's different here. Obviously, we want to uh, walk through the doors as God opens them and share Christ with them, but we are to be a living example for all the world to see that a miracle has taken place in our life. That's what makes us different. We are to be walking manifestations of God's power and authority to perform miracles on behalf of those who place their faith and trust in Christ. So I hope that's true of you, and I hope that's true of our church. Let's pick up where we left off in verse 17. And now, brethren, I wote that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. This refers back to what Peter said in verses 13 through 15, where he told them they were the ones who delivered up Jesus. They were the ones who took God's Son and turned Him over to Pilate, a Gentile governor. They were the ones who denied Jesus and desired Barabbas instead. They were the ones who killed the Prince of Life. Peter did not mince his words. (laughs) He's very direct. He's very bold in what he had just said, letting them know they were guilty for what had taken place. It was the greatest crime in human history. God was working behind the scenes. We know that. But just humanly speaking, an innocent man died. We'll say more about that, I think, later on in this message. And so Peter, he was blunt. He was to the point. And I think I can imagine how it would have stirred up emotions within the hearer. Perhaps they became agitated. Who does this guy think he is? Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. As we preach the gospel, it it can be an offense, the Bible says. And so, Peter here, he's preaching very boldly. He's laying it out for them. And I can just imagine that they're getting agitated at him. Some of these here in Acts chapter 3 may have experienced the same emotions that the crowd experienced at Solomon's porch when Jesus was preaching and teaching. They didn't like what Jesus had to say. They picked up stones to kill Him. And I can imagine the same people here, and many of them were likely there in John chapter 10 that are present here in Acts chapter 3. Remember, we're not far away from the crucifixion. We're just a couple months, three at most probably. 
And these same people might have even been present when Jesus was preaching and teaching. They wanted to kill Him. And here's Peter. He's boldly preaching. You denied Him. You wanted a murder. You killed the Prince of Life. Can you imagine the emotions that they have going through them? I can imagine them being upset at Peter. But let's notice how that after he preaches so salty in verses 13 through 15, Peter now mixes in some grace in his message. Colossians 4 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So Peter extends grace to them by calling them brethren. Not brethren in the faith, but brethren after the flesh, being the physical descendants of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were physical brethren of Israel. Peter still regards them as his brethren of the same nation. And as such, they were entitled to claim the same promises that were made to the fathers. Namely, the new covenant which was confirmed in Christ. So from a natural standpoint, Peter does not elevate himself above his brethren with a holier-than-thou attitude. But he also doesn't deny that they have their differences. He's clear he, he has received Christ as the promised Messiah. And that his nation as a whole has rejected the Messiah and demanded his death. And then in compassion, Peter tells them, I woke that through ignorance, ye and your rulers delivered Christ, denied Christ, cried out for His crucifixion. Peter gives them hope that our long-suffering God would still be merciful to them in their ignorance. Aren't you glad God is long-suffering? There is a place to reprove, rebuke with all long-suffering. And Christians ought to be reproved. They ought to be rebuked when they're living in rebellion to God. If they're living in sin, they ought to be called out. But for those outside of Christ, we need to first try and call them through the love of the cross. Because it is on the cross God demonstrated His love to the world. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. John 3.17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And then I say, if after a period of time, I don't know what that time is, I believe every situation is unique. If after a period of time, calling them in love does not work, there comes a time when they need to hear the preaching of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen just lays it out there and he paid the price. That's not funny, why am I laughing? Stephen, he just preaches hard in Acts chapter 7. But I'll remind you that that strong of a message that he preached was to the religious council. The people who ought to know better. So Peter here, he's not excusing what they have done. He isn't suggesting that they were innocent. But they were certainly ignorant. I think ignorance is used in a bad way today. But it's not a bad term. It just means you just haven't learned yet. Um, it doesn't mean that you're just stupid or dumb on purpose or whatever. That's willfully ignorant. 
So they were certainly ignorant. Jesus said in Luke 19.44 that they did not know the time of their visitation. Their ignorance was obvious. But Peter can make this statement about their ignorance knowing that he wasn't perfect when it came to his assessment of who Jesus was before His resurrection. Peter could extend to them some grace after telling them twice that they denied Jesus in verses 13 and 14 because Peter knew he had been guilty of denying Jesus three times in one night. He knew what it was like. He had been there. But Peter experienced God's grace and God's forgiveness. With that being true in Peter's life, he now wants the people that he is addressing to experience that same grace and forgiveness. And in this, I believe we can say tonight, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the steps that you had to take. None of us were born saved. We could say a lot there. I'm picturing all kinds of things, and it's disgusting picturing a baby coming out with a Bible in its hand. But none of us were born with a Bible in our hand. You haven't always had the knowledge you have now. And it's funny, sometimes we think we have knowledge until we grow. (laughs) Been there. You had times of ignorance in your life. And I'm sure there's still areas of ignorance because God's Word is inexhaustible. You too had to grow in grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are all still growing. Let's think about some of Peter's times of ignorance. Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised again the third day. And then Peter, keep in mind, he forsook all to follow. More than many people can say today. The same Peter who forsook all to follow Jesus took him and began to rebuke him saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he, Jesus, turned unto Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. This exchange between Peter and Jesus happened right after Peter had just declared that thou art the Christ. Peter identified Jesus as the Messiah, but he was ignorant of what Christ came to accomplish and how he was going to accomplish it. How about the time Peter and James and John went up to a high mountain with Jesus and Christ was transfigured before them and they got to behold more of Jesus' glory. Mark chapter 9, verses 4 through 8, And there appeared unto them Elias, or Elijah, with Moses, And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make thee three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. 
And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear Him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. In Peter's ignorance of Jesus' greatness, he wrongly attempted to place Jesus, Moses, and Elijah all on the same level. But God had to intervene, and He reminded Peter, Jesus is my beloved Son, hear Him. And then God had Moses and Elijah disappear, so that Peter would see only Jesus as the exalted one of God. How about the time when Jesus was washing His disciples' feet? Peter said, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? To which Jesus replied, What I do thou knowest not now. Thou shalt know hereafter. And in John 13, verses 8 through 10, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not to save, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Now, if I was an onlooker there at that particular day, I would think that would have been an awkward conversation to watch unfold. You ever been in one of those awkward conversations? Peter just couldn't seem to get it together. It's just not connecting the dots. Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Well, then you'll never have a part in me. Oh, well, in that case, wash my hands and my head too. Peter, I only need to wash your feet. I mean, poor Peter. Can you just imagine being there watching this? I can see them a few years later reminiscing at a pastor's conference. Peter, you remember when you didn't want the Lord to wash your feet? Well, you see what happened was when Jesus said, I thought he meant, just awkward. The others would probably pipe up, Peter, just admit it, you were ignorant. And who can forget the night when Jesus was being arrested and Peter cut off Malchus's ear. He was completely ignorant of how God's plan was unfolding. And so were all of the disciples, by the way. They all forsook Him and fled. Now, I said that to tell you this. It stands to reason if the men who walked with Jesus for three and a half years were ignorant, then we can understand why Peter says in our text, I woke that through ignorance she did it. You know, don't forget where you came from. We all probably have stories of embarrassment about our ignorance. I could share some with you surrounding the Bible and how God had to grow me. And still is, as many of you know, when you come to me with questions and I go, the children of Israel were ignorant from a lack of teaching by the religious leaders. Remember, they didn't have Bibles to go around in those days. They couldn't go down to the local Walmart and pick up a Bible. They had scrolls that were kept in the synagogues and so forth, and they would be read on the Sabbath. And so it was the job of the leaders religiously to teach the people, but they had become corrupted through an oral law, the traditions of men that they taught in place of God's Word. And we know from the Old Testament that they had become corrupted by money. Micah said in Micah 3.11, 
The heads thereof judge for reward, the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. And Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Micah, said, Truth is fallen in the street, yea, truth faileth. The religious leaders within Israel failed their people, and therefore the people were walking in ignorance. And what they did teach concerning the Messiah was a a skewed interpretation. They taught that when the Messiah arrived, He would physically deliver them out from under Gentile rule, and that that the Messiah would usher in a physical kingdom at that time upon this earth, restore it to Israel. By failing to see that the Messiah would bring spiritual deliverance and usher in a heavenly kingdom, they ended up bypassing the teaching of the sufferings of Christ, which are so clearly foretold of in the Old Testament. Therefore, by not understanding God's Word, by not teaching the whole counsel of God's Word, which is why I choose to go verse by verse, is so that we are forced to address the whole counsel of God's Word. When we forsake doing that, we run into problems, and so they were not doing it, and it stood to reason in their minds that if this one who was said to be the Messiah, could be nailed to a cross, and how in the world is He the Deliverer of Israel? They didn't have a complete teaching. And in their ignorance, they did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And in their ignorance, ultimately, they rejected Jesus. Paul wrote that if they had known, they would have never crucified Him. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 and 8, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Listen now. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Acts 13, 27, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. Now I want you to understand that their ignorance did not equal innocence. I know people like to try that angle. They were not innocent. While Jesus is on the cross, He prays in Luke 23-34, Father, forgive them, For they know not what they do. They still needed forgiveness even though they were ignorant. And in all of this, I want you to see tonight how dangerous ignorance can be. Someone said ignorance is bliss. I suppose that's true in some context. But it's bad for theology. We understand that ultimately God was working out our salvation... We understand that no man could take Jesus' life, but that He laid it down of Himself, of His own will. We understand all that, but to use Bible language from verse 15, and to make my point, it was ignorance that led to the innocent Son of Man being killed. Jesus forewarned His disciples of the dangers of the religious elite's ignorance in John 16, 2. He said, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you 
will think that he doeth God service. How dangerous is ignorance? In the first century, it led to the killing of innocent Christians. And those who did so would actually think they were doing God service. There have been other times in history where that mindset has resurfaced. And Saul of Tarsus was in that group of people before he was converted and became the Apostle Paul. In Acts 26, 9-11, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing also I did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority of the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, being exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Saul thought, he really thought he was doing the will of God by having Christians rounded up, imprisoned, and then giving his voice to have them put to death. That's how dangerous ignorance can be. Paul would later write to Timothy that what he did, he did because of ignorance. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 14 And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Now thank God for His mercy and grace. It's available to all who will call upon Him in faith. But ignorance is still dangerous. I don't know that this is going to be exhaustive here, but let me give you a list of things the Bible says about ignorance. The Bible ties ignorance to foolishness in Psalm 73.22 and 1 Peter 2.15. In Isaiah 56.10, ignorance can lead to blind and lazy watchmen. In Acts 17.23, ignorance can lead to false worship. In Romans 10.3, ignorance can lead to a works-based religion. In Romans 11.25, ignorance can lead to pridefulness. 1 Corinthians 10.1, ignorance can lead to misunderstanding of the Old Testament Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 14.38, ignorance can lead to further ignorance. In 2 Corinthians 1.8 and Romans 1.13, ignorance can lead to misunderstanding of the suffering of the saints, especially those in leadership. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, ignorance can lead to Satan getting an advantage over us. According to Ephesians 4.18, ignorance leads to a darkened understanding, a blindness of heart, and being alienated from a life with God. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, ignorance can lead to hopeless sorrow. And in 2 Peter 3.5, and that surrounding context there, ignorance can lead to a misunderstanding of God's judgment to come against the ungodly. I don't know if you could see yourself in any of those categories, But we can add to that willing ignorance. And that is when you're dumb on purpose. Our nation is willingly ignorant when it comes to the area of biology. Now I would say God forbid any of us here fall into that category of being willfully ignorant. I understand we're all at different growth points. We all have to start somewhere but we all should have a trajectory that is going upward when it comes to our knowledge of our Lord. But I hope you can see the dangers of ignorance. 
What's the remedy for ignorance? We won't get deep into this verse, but look at verse 18. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. So why were they ignorant? Because they didn't know the Word of God. Amen. We're about to get up in your living room. They didn't know the Word of God. They didn't know the Scriptures. The remedy for ignorance is getting in God's Word. Now Peter, he gives them the benefit of the doubt, if you will. And, and he, he says that what you did, you did in ignorance. But he follows that up by essentially pointing out that, look, you're without excuse. You had the writing of the prophets. Where do we find wisdom and defeat ignorance? First, it begins with a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You must know Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And then wisdom is found in God's Word. Christ, who is the Word of God, gave us the Holy Ghost, called the Spirit of Truth. And He said in John 16, 13, that the Spirit of Truth would guide us into all truth. We have the best teacher in the Holy Ghost. We have the best guide. But there is a catch. you got to be in the Word of God. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. Listen to it if you want to. Be in the Word of God. But you have to put forth the effort. Believe it or not, I don't just throw stuff together and get up here. It takes effort to do it right. That's why you pay me. Thank you. Or else it would be very difficult. Proverbs 2, 1-6, through 6, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, listen now, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of His mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 4 and uh, verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. So we see that you get wisdom by going to the wisdom giver. That's brilliant, right? This is really what we're paying you for. Hang in there. James 1.5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it liberally and will not upbraid you for it. Proverbs 4.7, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. Concerning God's Word, Psalm 19, verses 10 and 11, more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is good reward. Matthew thirteen forty four, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, that which when a man hath found, he, hath, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth, that field. 
Is the Word of God that valuable to you? We take it for granted today. I mean, and thank God for the access we have. But you understand there's still countries that don't have it. Wisdom's available to all, but you have to put forth the effort to get it. Are you seeking for wisdom? As you would seek for hid treasure. Are you willing to sell all and buy the field that has the treasure of wisdom in it? I used to watch these gold shows until they started cussing all the time. And it's amazing what they do. Little bitty flakes of gold. And man, they go after it. They put forth the effort. They remove the earth. They run it through. They do all this just to get a bunch of little small nuggets and flakes that add up. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to get in the Word of God and dig and mine it and and find that silver and that gold and put forth that effort? You know, we're blessed in a country, we're blessed to be living in a country where we can have a Bible. And yet I noticed yesterday at men's prayer, some of the men didn't have their Bible. Maybe you didn't even bring it in tonight. That blows my mind. We're blessed to live in a country where we can still freely assemble together. And I'm telling you that to tell you this, there's no excuse for your ignorance. And yet, it would appear that this generation is the most ignorant yet. And yet, I don't know how you roll, but I got a computer program, I can type a word and bam, Everywhere it's used in the Bible, there it is. If you have a Bible, get in it. If you don't have one, let me know. I'll buy you one. And you're in a Bible-preaching church. Be faithful. I do not say that because I think I'm something, but I know that I labor to give you the truth of God's Word. Don't be guilty of being ignorant. You have no excuse. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let me ask my pastor. I'll get back with you. You know what the Bible says to wives? Ask your husband. Let him give you an answer. 1 Peter 2.15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of the foolish men. That's the will of God. That you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Can you do that? Do you know the Word of God well enough? I know we're all growing, I get it. But are you striving? You're going after wisdom. I can tell some of our young people tonight could care less of what I'm saying. And you're going to fall by the wayside. You know, it's heartbreaking to get up here and pour your heart out and see people really could care less. But that's okay. It's it's not about me. It's just, I, I want us to be a people of the book and not be guilty of being ignorant. I, I hope you can tell 
there's some troubled times ahead. And we're going to start separating the wheat from the chaff. You think COVID was bad? Get out of here. Would you have a little cough? All right, I'm going to get snarky right there. Don't be guilty. May we silence the foolish, the foolishness of the ignorant men. How do we do that? We dig, we seek, we labor in the Word of God. Were you in the Word of God this morning? Last week? Last month? You know, I fear that the most that people get of the Word of God is when I read the text. What do you think Jesus is going to say on the day of judgment? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm not trying to beat you up. I know it seems that way. I'm not. I just want to encourage you to get in the Word of God. We have been given a precious gift. People have died to give us the Word of God. That's a fact. Men burned at the stake in an effort to get us an English translation of the Bible and then burned by their very translations. Wycliffe. Was it him they hated so bad they dug up his bones years later, ground them to powder, and threw them in the river? Why? Because he dared to try to give us a translation in English. And yet we'd rather play Xbox, be on the TV, go do our hobbies, get in the Word of God, study it, read it, memorize it, meditate on it. And may it not be a set of, set of us, I know that you just did it because you were ignorant. But may we be known as a people that can wield the Word of God. It is a sword. And may our hand cleave the sword of God's Word. Let's pray.